LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I got this call uh, from my former youth pastor. He was my mentor growing up. And he was like, do you want to come out to Korea? Do you want to serve with me? Do you want to lead this youth ministry? And the moment he was like 50,000 people, (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness, who in the world gets a chance to pastor at a church of 50,000 people? Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vinoy, and here as always... I sometimes with my co-host, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Josh Hunter. We can still say always. It's okay. Okay, it's fine. So I'm a little nervous right now because I have a there's a sneeze back here somewhere <laughs> and I strained a muscle in my back. And when I sneeze, it just feels like somebody is just taking a hammer to my spine. Hey, you're, so you're playing through injury right now. I'm this is your flu game. I'm working I need to put in for FMLA or something <laughs> with HR here. But very true. We are excited today because we have one of our good friends, Daniel M., who is the senior associate pastor at Beulah Alliance Church, speaker, and an author of a few books, including his latest, You Are What You Do. Daniel, we miss you here at Lifeway. So excited to have you on today, bro. Man, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys to, <laughs> to be on this podcast. It's been fun listening in, so it's 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 cool to be on the other side. Oh, it's fun that you listen. It's also for those who didn't know, Daniel uh, hosted a few different podcasts here at Lifeway as well as a personal one, and he it, helped us exactly kick this one off. He helped too. us kick this one off. So. Yeah, it's awesome. He is so he is a he's a wise, wise man. Wise, wise man. Daniel, I know you're back in Canada. I want to ask you this, and for those listening, you might want to take notes on Nashville. What do you miss most about Nashville? Like what are the top two to three things that you miss from Nashville? I definitely don't miss the traffic. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Yes, the traffic was horrible. Uh, what I miss, honestly, it's the people. It's always the people. So there's obviously hot chicken and the amenities and the food scene and Nashville's, I mean, an incredible city, but the people working with guys like you, my church, uh, just, and, and, you know, with everything that's just recently happened in Nashville with the tornadoes. Yeah. uh, Yeah. My Facebook feed is just constantly, it's filled with either life here or the tornado stuff. So my heart just breaks part of Christina's and my heart Mm. still is there. So we're praying for, and, and wanted to see the recovery happen well. Yeah, it's definitely been a pretty eventful past week or two for for Nashville, and uh, it definitely is heartbreaking. And we miss you too. It's uh, it's so good to be able to kind of catch up a little bit, even through a podcast. So we'll go ahead and hop in here. I know, I know, Josh and I know a good bit of your story, but I want to for those who are listening to hear a little bit more about us. So can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles you've been in over the years? Yeah. So after discerning a call to ministry, this was mid-university, uh, ended up transferring out to a different school, switched majors from sciences to religious studies, moved across the country from Vancouver all the way to Ottawa because that's um, wanted to be closer to Christina. We were dating at the time and, and started, got, really got plugged into a, a church plant there. That's where I did my internship. My very first sermon was Easter Sunday. What? Oh, wow. uh, the, yeah. No pressure. The, hey! <laughs> I know, of all Sundays, right? Very first sermon. The other added ouchiness to the whole thing was the, the fact that the senior pastor had committed adultery. So oh, goodness. the church was kind of in recovery and the elders were like, hey, let's let's give Daniel a chance to preach. <laughs> so, he said, I got yeah. this. 
Yeah. So that was a church plant. Uh, then after graduating and finishing up that internship, moved out to Montreal at a church plant there, helped them start their second campus and did youth ministry and leadership stuff for the church. And then we moved out to Korea for a couple of years uh, at um, one of the, definitely not the largest church, but I mean, giga churches there are a dime a dozen. So the church was about 50,000 people. Oh, wow. And, uh, wow. I was within the English ministry, which was a few thousand. So it was like, the English ministry was a mega church within the giga church. And then I led uh, a multi-campus student ministry of a few hundred people. And I also did all the leadership development side of things uh, for the, the English side of the church. So did that, came back to Canada. I'll tell you a little bit more about that when we're talking about pivotal moments and all yeah. that. But uh, basically then started working at Beulah Adult Ministries. Uh, did multi-site stuff, helped them, you know, some interim campus pastoring and really basically started with groups, again, leading the adult ministries. Church is a, is a few thousand people here. And then for the last five years was at Lifeway. Uh, the thing that basically Ooh. opened up the door for me to go to Lifeway was we were doing these things called mid-sized communities, 20 to 50 people here at, at Beulah. And yeah, I mean, church was growing year over year. Groups wasn't. So uh, we started this thing. It was an experiment. We went from zero to 800 new people into groups, into these mid-sized communities over two years. So that's, I mean, life we're doing so much curriculum mm-hmm. around that. Rick Howerton, uh, the name some of your listeners might know, he's, uh, he's, he's the one that kind of introduced me to the fold, brought me down. That's where I met Todd Adkins and rest is history. So uh, spent the last five years there. And then basically last year, and I'll finish up with this. I know I'm speaking for a long time. No, this, good. Is, you're good. <laughs> this is great, man. Yeah. Last year, um, probably, I don't know, November, 2018 started sensing this unsettledness in my heart. Christina and I thought it was because Dr. Rayner was retiring, but honestly, we just couldn't put a finger on what that was. And January 2019 came up to Beulah to preach and to lead a staff retreat. That's all it was ever supposed to be. And then Keith, the the lead guy here, who's now been here 29 years, he asked if I'd pray about coming back to do succession with him. So mm-hmm. long story short, that was, I don't know, four or five months of prayer of discernment and elders ended up calling us back. So we've now been here for about almost coming up to eight months now. Wow. Eight months. That's flown by. That's crazy. It really has. Yeah. Well, I think one really cool aspect of your story um, is your kind of all over the place. <laughs> and for the, for those who are not too familiar with Canada, like myself, uh, probably need to check a map on where exactly everything is up there. But what did that look like for you? Cause there was, it seems like you were willing and uh, you were open to God's calling to wherever he was going to place you. So what did that look like kind of jumping context and how did you, when you jumped in, so even going from Canada to Korea to Nashville, those are all different cultures. Mm-hmm. How did you learn to step in so quickly and, and kind of understand the different cultures and then lead effectively there? Yeah. So for, I mean, I praise the Lord for my wife, Christina and her heart for uh, Jesus and her heart for uh, just being open-handed because without her, I know other guys have said to me, they're like, man, Christina is such a gift because my wife doesn't want to move anywhere because we've lived <laughs> here our entire life. So I, I, I recognize I don't take that for granted. And, I, and I've and i never necessarily coerced her to go with me here or there. It's definitely been um, in most cases, other than when we moved to Korea, <laughs> that, was, that was a huge lesson in and of itself. But um, other than that, it's really been a, a discernment 
that we've done together and, and saying, Lord, here we are just living our lives open-handed. God, we are yours. Um, life is better when we are fully following after you, mm, good. Uh, our good shepherd. <laughs> You're going to make us lie down. You're going to tell us to go here or there. So it's, it's definitely been, that's been always our posture. Now, having born, been born and raised in Vancouver, which honestly is like on the top five of the best cities in the entire world, I've always wanted to move back there. I've always wanted to do ministry there. And, and that's, I mean, that's just my hometown but um, I, I, I didn't want to force it to happen, right? I, di- I didn't want to try to coerce. And, and, you know, obviously I've asked God to, I, at points, I'm, I'm not asking him anymore, but I had asked him at points to bring us back there, but he just never really opened the door for that. And when we moved out here, uh, and that, that was a big part of our discernment process to leave Nashville and come to Edmonton, it really was, we sensed a missionary call to come back to Edmonton here. Because honestly, when I talked to guys in, um, in and around all the consulting we did at Lifeway, people were like, dude, you got the dream job. <laughs> you have the dream job. You're serving the global sea church yeah. at Lifeway and you, you're doing whatever you want to do there. <laughs> uh, no, I'm not that, you know, I was just reading or whatever. I mean, it was such a gift to be able to serve the church intermission of making disciples there. And then also as a teaching pastor at my church and people were like, what does that even mean? And they're like, I was like, well, I preach every other week yeah. and I don't do anything else other than lead a life group. No meetings, nothing. And they're like, how do I do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can I get that gig? Yeah. yeah. That's so like, good. I, we honestly just joined the closest church in our neighborhood when we moved to Nashville. Right. Obviously we vetted, we vetted the theology and all that stuff, but we joined the, it, it literally ended up being the closest church to our house. And we just went, I didn't flash my seminary degree. I didn't flash my credentials. I didn't flash, oh yeah, I know this is Southern Baptist Church and you know, I'm working for Lifeway. I didn't do any of that. <laughs> I, just, I just went, I attended, I did the membership class. We joined a life group. Like I, I didn't tell them anything about mid-sized communities or groups or anything. I just joined a group yeah. and we just served. And then one thing led to another and they ended up asking me to, to be one of their teaching pastors. So, yeah. So I remember one time, cause I was asking you, I just moved to Nashville and I was asking you, Hey man, what did it look like for your journey to get plugged in at a church? And you were telling me all this and I'll never forget what you said. You said, we were looking for a place where we could get plugged in and be a volunteer that I would have looked for when I was on staff, oh, That's cool. <laughs> just to yeah, serve right. in that manner. And that's, that's really affected how I view uh, how I serve my church. And so I just, I mean, that's always stuck with me. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, so. I love that. And you were mentioning Christina earlier, you guys host a podcast as well. The, the yeah. in between podcast, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love yeah, that podcast. I, coming up to episode a hundred. Wow. wow. When, when is it? When is that release? Uh, it, it'll be probably in a couple months. We just released episode 90 today. Okay. So, so a little bit more in there. Well, for listeners, go check out that podcast as well. It's really, sure. really good. Daniel, let's get to the next question though. Can you tell us about a pivotal moment that you look back on in your leadership that either changed your style of leadership, your trajectory or your life in general? Yeah, I, I probably have to say the transition that just happened in us moving back to Edmonton because honestly, I loved everything about our life in Nashville and I loved Lifeway, the mission there, loved my church, our life group community was just, it was just incredible. Uh, but as we started sensing this unsettledness in our hearts, and, and it's, I mean, it's been the theme of our, of our entire marriage, Lord, here we are. Lord, I don't know what mm. that means. Yes, we have our plans. Man makes his plans, right? The Lord determines his steps. So 
we were just open-handed in that way. And when the opportunity came up, and this is how it happened. Uh, Keith here, the lead pastor, he's, um, and just a quick history on the church. The church is, this year is going to be its 99th year. Oh, wow. has planted over 60 churches since its beginning. Uh, it's incredible. It just has that history and legacy of multiplication. And yeah, I mean, the lead pastor here, I mean, one of the most incredible guys, been serving here for the last 29 years. And he asked if we'd pray about coming back and doing succession. And, and, and honestly, it wasn't even on my radar. But when I said to him, oh, it's interesting how you ask, because in the last couple of months, I've, Christina and I have been sensing this unsettledness in our hearts. He was like, huh, that's interesting. Because I've been praying that God would unsettle someone's heart. Hmm. Cool. Wow. And literally, it was you could hear a pin drop. And I was like, okay, I, I legitimately have to pray about this. Because otherwise, who wants to go back to a place where the, where winter is six months out of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you live in like one of the coolest cities in North America, right? I mean, Nashville is just, I, I, don't, I don't think I've said it enough how awesome Nashville is. Yeah, did you like Nashville? I, I, <laughs> yeah, right? So it, it really was that moment where I was like, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and Kevin Queen is one of my friends and he's the pastor at Cross Point in Nashville. And, and he said it well because he was helping us discern this too. He was like, when, when God transition, when, when God is moving you, it's like he, he's a good gardener. Uh, he's a faithful father, a good gardener. And, and yeah, sometimes we feel the unsettledness around us because he's like putting his hands in the soil and beginning mm. to loosen the soil around us. He's not just going to yank us out. He's, he's loosening the soil. And he's like, that's that unsettledness that you might be feeling. But here's the thing. He is such a good gardener and such a good father that he is actually, when he is doing that and you're sensing that unsettledness, he has already prepared a place for you. Like Mm. that place where he's going to transport you to, like that place is already ready, Mm. which means the transition has happened way before you've even sensed it and it's even been on your radar. And that image has so stuck with me in the sense that, yeah, you know what, that's what's been happening that's what had been happening. I even remember five years ago leaving leaving Beulah and, and, and Keith was like, man, I, I honestly think you're going to be a senior pastor one day. And I was like, I don't know if I'm called to be a senior pastor. I loved being in the number two role. I loved the system side of things. And honestly, for me, guys, like this is my first time, right? Uh, but, but, uh, but for me, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, but how... I, I realized about myself that I'm actually better in larger organizations than smaller ones, mm-hmm. which is why I was so excited to go to Lifeway. And, and yeah, I know I've experienced in, in a few different large church settings, but I just realized that about myself that I thrive. My gifting wise is, is, is more within the larger organizational uh, size. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, but if, if you want to be a senior pastor of a mega church, you have to be a senior pastor first, right? Yeah. And like who would hire someone <laughs> who's never been a senior pastor to be a, <laughs> a senior pastor of a church of a few thousand people? Like no one. Uh, so I was like, yeah, so that's not even on my, like literally I completely wrote it off because I loved the number two role. I mm. loved it. Mm. And I loved what we were doing at Lifeway and I loved teaching and, and there's that side. So I completely wrote it off. But when, we had that conversation last January and he was like, can you pray about it? And as we underwent a, a further discernment process, I was like, my goodness, maybe this is what God has been preparing me for uh, over the last, you know, however many years that I've been in ministry. So this is, this is such a good story and a good example. It makes me think of 
um, just with the gardening makes me think of John 15 and abiding in Christ and, mm. and being the vine and um, us being the branches and producing fruit. And those go hand in hand. But tell us, you just said discernment and it made me want to pivot on my question a little bit. You said you went through the process of discernment. So one, what is discernment? And can you explain that? And then two, leaders trying to figure out what's next in their life. How, how do I practice good, spiritual, God-glorifying discernment? How did you do that? If you could walk us through that, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, yeah. There's So obviously there's the first principle of faithfulness, right? Faithfulness and, and living a life open-handed to God. Even, I mean, this upcoming weekend, I'm going to be preaching on John chapter 10 and, and the good gardener that Jesus is. And, and honestly, the story that I'm starting with is this, this perspective of Mary and Martha, this perspective of them. And, and, and honestly, it's like, okay, we read that story and we're like, well, obviously we're supposed to be Mary, right? And we're supposed to sit at the feet of Jesus. But if, you know, for me, I'm in Enneagram three and I'm like, I, I, I just want to go. I just want to yeah. do, I just want to accomplish, I want to achieve. And, and, you know, we, we think about that. We're like, so how, how do I, like, what does that even mean to be like Mary when you're like that? And I don't, honestly, I don't think the Mary Martha thing is a personality thing. I don't think it's an Enneagram thing. Honestly, I think it's a perspective that Mary knew Jesus as the good shepherd. Hmm. Psalm 23 is what came to mind, I believe, because there's so many parallels between that passage in Luke and Psalm 23, where Mary saw Jesus in the way that she saw and read Psalm 23 as that good shepherd. And, and that was so in her heart that she was like, okay, regardless of personality profile and all that stuff, man, she let Jesus guide her, guard her, protect her, hmm. lead her in all that way. So first and foremost, when it comes to discernment, it's not about accomplishments, right? It's not about, oh God, I want to, I want to do great things for you. I want to be a kingdom mover. I want to be a kingdom shaker. And, and that's honestly the 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 lies that I believe that led us to Korea in the first place. And, and God redeemed that whole thing. But that I, I had to come to terms with it was like, okay, regardless of the size of ministry, regardless of whatever you want to do, and and yes, it's good to know what you're good at, what you're not good at. It's good to know that. And we need to discover that. We need to discover that about ourselves. I mean, Calvin and, and so many people have talked about that. I, I mean, I can't even think about all the different quotes that there are on that, on knowing yourself. But, right, but having said all that, first and foremost, we need to be faithful and we need to follow his guidance in his ways, which means we yeah. need to be cultivating spiritual practices, right? We need to be in the word. We need to be in community because discernment happens not just individually by yourself, but it happens in community. Yeah, that's good. We need to be in relationship. So we need to be first and foremost, seeing Jesus, lifting our eyes to Jesus, living a life of faithfulness and cultivating those spiritual practices. And it's in that environment I love, uh, love what Richard Foster says about this. He's like, spiritual growth is like sleeping. You can't cause yourself to sleep, but you can create the conditions in which it'll come. Hmm. Right? And the same is with discernment. You can't force it. Uh-huh. You can't force it because it's more direction than it is destination. Yeah. But you can create the conditions in which you can be ready for when it comes. Yeah. So the sermon is so tricky because it's more of this art versus this science, right? It's just like this 
the only way I can explain it in my soul is just this feeling that when I'm seeking the Lord, I just feel a nudge and erection, not really a yes or a no, but just these nudges into the right direction. I think about when you're talking about community, Proverbs eleven fourteen, in a multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. And I think the Lord uses that big time to help leaders discern right from wrong, yes from no, or whatever it is they're trying to work through. Yeah, yeah, completely. Well, that was the pivotal moment that kind of shaped your, your leadership. What was, what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? Oh, I can't wait to hear yeah, this one. Daniel. This is going to be good. <laughs> Working for Todd so Atkins. This is, <laughs> yeah, this, this is the, yeah. <laughs> <Aside> from that. <laughs> no, Todd's great. Um, so this has been something that I've, it's taken, it's, it's been 10 years now since it happened or 12 years now since it's happened. And it's taken quite a bit for me to process because there's a sense of reconciliation and restoration and, and all of this that has had to happen. And, and I mean, you guys mentioned my latest book and, and in the book, that's really the first time where I've really had to unpack it because it's been stuff that I've been dealing with for the last 12 years, but it, it was 12 years ago. I was in Montreal, youth pastor doing seminary life was I mean, we had no kids and, and, and ministry was growing and it was, it was, it was mm-hmm. we were having a really good time. And then I got this call uh, from my former youth pastor. He was my mentor growing up. And he was like, do you want to come out to Korea? Do you want to serve with me? Do you want to lead this youth ministry? And, and the moment he was like 50,000 people. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, who in the world gets a chance to pastor at a church of 50? That's just insane. Yeah. Right. It's insane. (laughs) I can't wrap my mind around that. (laughs) Yeah. So in my mind, I was like, well, obviously God is in this. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. 50,000 people. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've been so faithful. Ministry's growing. I'm, you know, I'm being faithful here and doing it. God is, He's rewarded me. This is, you know, I mean, he is bringing me into the promised land. Like this is full on God's blessing, full on. Like I, I just immediately assumed, and that was my mistake, right? Mm. I immediately assumed that God was in this mm. it, to the point where, yes, I kind of perfunctory prayed and fasted just, just to say that I did. But it was very, it was like a done deal. And, and it was, even when I was talking to Christina, it was very much of a, not a co-discernment. It was like a, hey, there's, we're never going to have an opportunity like this again. Hmm. And we don't have kids. So we should go. If, if there's ever a chance to go, if there's ever an opportunity to go, we should just go. Right? 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 Christina, right? Like literally <laughs> that yes. was my heart. Yeah. That was my heart. Right? And I wasn't, I wasn't willing to listen to what she was saying. Right? I was just trying to full on move ahead, charge ahead, convince, and go. And honestly, those two years in Korea, we grew so much spiritually and God moved. And, and I, I know, I know I'm kind of, I've, I've said it like it was a mistake. And I think my motives were wrong initially in going, but God redeems all things. And it was an incredible time of ministry where he just opened our eyes to what could be and what's happening and just way beyond my little Presbyterian mind that I had grew, grown up with. Like just there's, and the church in Korea was Presbyterian as well, but it was just, there's so much charisma right now. I mean, I'm not Presbyterian anymore. I'm a, I'm a Christian mission Alliance pastor, but um, all that to say, he just opened our minds so much, but here's the, here's the reason why I now reflect on it as if it was a mistake. And I honestly don't know if it was a mistake. I know my motives were a mistake. Yeah. 
But I reflect on it in that way because it all came crashing down. And, and I write about it in, in, in my latest book, but it all came crashing down and everything was stripped away. And it was that desert moment. I mean, after that, we came back to Canada literally on April Fool's Day, 2010. And everyone was like, is this an April Fool's joke? So yeah, poor timing. <laughs> wow. And I was like, no, it's, no. It's, it's not. Like my mentor growing up, he was like, I don't even think you're called to be a pastor. Mm. And like over and over, so many things. And even in the midst of everything being stripped away, God was so good. He was so good because he gave us a couple dreams and there were a couple things that happened where it was just God was preparing the way. And he was like, yes, something is going to happen, but don't worry. Don't worry. And if I were to have told you, right, if, 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 if I were to have told myself 10 years ago, because we came back in 2010, that 10 years ago, actually, at the time of recording, it's March 10. So we would have just 10 years ago at this time would have just been processing this whole thing and trying to figure out how do we get back. If, if I would have told myself 10 years ago that 10 years later, this is all that was going to happen, I would, I would have been like, you are a complete liar. Wow. And my life is over mm. and mm. I'm not even, I don't even think I'm going to be in ministry anymore. And I, if this is how the church is going to act. I don't want to be a part of the church. And, and there's all this hurt and this reaction that I was dealing with. There's no way that I would have believed you. yet. God can redeem all things. He can bring about beauty from the ashes. And I honestly, as, as hard of a season as that was, I wouldn't trade that for anything because I am who I am today and I, I believe I am where I am today as well because of how God, um, <laughs> he had to shape me. He had to shape me. Yeah, that. for sure. Man, thanks for sharing that with us. That's, I mean, I know that's a big, sounds like it's a big part of your story. And, uh, yeah. and I'm just even thinking if I was in that situation, man, you just hear that. Like it's the, it's the hubris in us that says, well, I've got to go. This is the opportunity. And like you said, not saying it's a mistake, but it's something you learned from. But for those, there's young leaders listening who there will be an opportunity that comes their way, um, that comes yeah. Josh and I's way, that sounds, this is it. This is the moment. This is, I've got to take this. This is an opportunity that I can't turn down. How would you tell us to check our heart on that? Yeah, like to make question. sure it's it's not us, uh, it's kind of like the push and pull, uh, mm. push your way into an opportunity instead of the Lord pulling you into it. How, mm. What would you tell a young leader kind of in your exact situation uh, that you were in? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're faithful and if you are first and foremost living for the Lord and you are faithful in your every moment, better opportunities will always come. There will never be a shortage of opportunities if you are being faithful and God is first in your life and you are living for him. So when that amazing opportunity comes up that you never would have ever thought could come up and all that, don't just assume it's God. Don't assume because it could be a distraction from the enemy. I mean, Eugene mm. Peterson's memoir, if any, if, if, if y'all haven't read it, if, if, if listeners, if you guys haven't read it, I mean, literally read it because there's so much, there, there's such a depth of wisdom in that book and in that man that just goes against the bigger is better notion that is predominated and, and that is dominating American and, and, and Western Christianity. So love that guy. But honestly, if you're faithful in a little, when it comes to discernment, there's just some, 
there's this great guy, honestly, I'm, oh, what is his name? I'm, I'm forgetting his name, but basically he talked about this idea of feelings of desolation and feelings of consolation. He was one of the church fathers. I mean, long, long time, long, long time ago. And he's basically saying in, in discernment, we can't ignore our feelings. And I grew up with Campus Crusade for Christ where there was like this uh, fact, faith, feeling train. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that? I, I think I've, I've heard of it. Yeah, um, vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. It was like in discernment, remember the fact, the fact, you know, the scriptures, uh, there's faith in what the fact is saying, what the scriptures are saying. And then feeling that's just, that it doesn't matter. Don't worry about feeling. You have to drive everything on fact and faith. And, and I completely mm. just pushed that all aside. But this one saint, I mean, he was like, okay, think about your feelings of consolation and desolation. And when you are walking with the Lord, you can trust those feelings because you'll, God will actually speak through feelings in the sense of peace and of anxiety and of all that. If you are, if you are right with the Lord, yeah, right, you can trust that. But if you are not and you are living in sin, then actually those feelings that you get, maybe it's a feeling of peace. You can't trust them. Those would be feelings of desolation because mm. you are not right with the Lord. So, yeah, just if you be faithful, because better opportunities will come. <laughs> that's no, that's really good. Actually, I don't yeah. think I have heard that before. It, it is really good. Before we get to the next question, though, let's uh, pause and hear from our sponsor. On this podcast, we hope to equip our listeners with the best resources to help churches thrive. So if you're looking at launching a thriving church in a rented venue, I encourage you to check out the team at Portable Church. Portable Church Industries equips churches meeting in alternative venues with total solutions so you can launch strong, be reproducible, and thrive in your communities. For over 25 years, they have partnered with church planners and multi-site leaders, mastering creative, intelligent, effective, portable church solutions. So you and your team stay focused on the things that matter, building disciples. See what this looks like by visiting portablechurch.com lifeway. Once again, that's portablechurch.com lifeway. Now, back to the podcast. Daniel, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? I mentioned it a little bit before, but Eugene Peterson's memoir, that book, I mean, it has just given me such an alter, an alternate reality of what pastoral ministry looks like. And yes, I'm an Enneagram three and, and, <laughs> and yes, I, I, I like big and, and I, you know, we, I mean, <laughs> the vision of our church here is to reach 1% of Edmonton. I mean, that's the vision of our church and Edmonton just keeps on growing and growing and growing. And it's like, yes, we got to do that. We have, I mean, last few months, right? 27 people gave their lives to Christ for the first time. I mean, we have a goal of 150 baptisms this year. So yes, I mean, I, I love that because it signifies life change. And yes, I love moving fast and there's that adaptability side to, to what life looks like right now. But Honestly, Eugene Peterson's memoir is such a refreshing, it's such a refreshing alternate reality to what the call of a pastor looks like. And, and wrestling with what that looks like within a large church context has just been really neat to see. So, so that's the one. The other one would honestly be Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. Yeah, um, that, good. That, that book has just been, maybe, maybe... Maybe it's because I read it after we had come back from Korea and it was so meaningful for me. But I mean, that book is, it 
the spiritual practices coupled with leadership. I mean, it's just been such a good book. So for those who are not familiar with it, would you give just a quick overview of, of the second book that you recommended? Yeah. So think, uh, <laughs> think Dallas Willard meets, meets John Maxwell in female form <laughs> and you get strengthening this whole <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Martin, so. <laughs> You're going to want to check that out just because of that description. Yeah. That was phenomenal. A, it is a great book. Somebody else said that on, I can't remember who said it, but it is, it is a good book. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was your biggest misconception when you were just getting started to lead about leadership? Hmm. I wonder if I'm sounding like a broken record, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just try to get as fast as, as fast as you can. It's this soul. It's this whole idea of, I need to do great things for God. Mm. I need to do great things for God. And the bigger, the better, the bigger it is, the bigger blessing it is. The So it was just this pursuit of fast, fast and bigger and bigger. And, and you can hear all the perils of, <laughs> of Western culture being seeped into the, I mean, pastoral ministry. And that's why Eugene Peterson is such a good, a refreshing uh, alternate reality to that. But, but really, that was a huge misconception to me that I, I kept on praying, God, I want to do... I want to do incredible things for you. Mm. God, I want, I, I, want to, I want to do kingdom ministry for you. And it was just this, it, it, and, and I think it came from a really good place. I think, I think it really did. And I love what, um, I'm talking about Kevin Queen again, right? Pastor of Crosspoint, but I, I love what he said here. He was like, hey, instead of trying to do great things for God, let's just do things for a great God. Yeah, that's good. Right, and, I, and I, that's just stuck with me so much. And, and it's because it, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do great things for God. Mm. And I felt like I would be more significant. I didn't feel like God was going to love me more because I knew there's nothing that I could do to make God love me more or less. But I don't know. Maybe it was for a better crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was for a better house. I don't know. I don't know what that was. But it, it really was this notion that, man, I have to, I, I want to make my life count. Yeah. Right. I, I don't, and maybe it was the whole don't waste your life thing with John Piper, right? It was like, seashells. Yeah. If you read that book, you're messed Piper, up. Yeah. He just changed a generation <laughs> with seashells. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to waste my life. God, I want to do great. Every yeah. moment counts. And I'm going to go on the mission field. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But I think that hubris came into that. And I, I, you know, maybe would say no to small and only say yes to big. And I think that's kind of what led me to mistakenly uh, lead me down the path to Korea. Yeah. Well, man, just even hearing you speak into that, kind of be, be faithful with the little things and the big things will come. I, I was reading through the book of Nehemiah recently and, um, and actually Josh, Joshua Gagdon was on our podcast as well. And kind of those two stories meet of the rebuilding of the wall and everybody has their own job and it's, and some, some jobs are bigger than others, but many of them, they're just little details that we read over in the book of Nehemiah. And something that Josh said during that podcast, he was talking about Legos. And he said, it's, it's easy to see the Lego box, especially his kids, you know, walking around the store and they see the outside of the Lego box and see the completed picture. And they say, dad, we want that. We yeah. want to get that. And, and Josh is like, you do realize that's 4,321 pieces. <laughs> like that's going to take a really long time for you to put those together and it's going to be long and it's going to be hard. And he was saying, that's what it takes though, for us to have that beautiful picture on the outside of the box of a, of a 
life that, that matters to the Lord. And it's oh, those so 4,321 steps of little steps of obedience. And man, I've just been really wrestling with that the past couple of weeks after that interview, because wow. it's so, so true. It's, it's in the little moments, how you treat your neighbor. It's how you treat your, for, for your wife, for you, Daniel, your kids, and the way you simply every decision, it's the mundane moments of life that matter. So that's, I just has stuck with me. Mm, that's really good. Daniel, in your latest book, You Are What You Do, you share about six lies we can easily believe. Um, we'd love to hear what those six are really briefly. And then if you could hang out on one of those lies, can you, like, what lie do you think is the most prevalent among young leaders? And what advice would you share to push back against that lie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there are, there are seven lies. There are seven lies. Oh, and, seven. And part of, yeah, part of the confusion is the subtitle says, and six other lies. We got, we got tricked Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> seven uh, lies, seven Daniel. Lies, I mean, that's yeah. what I meant the whole time. <laughs> Just super quickly. Um, you are what you do. You are what you experience. You are who you know. You are what you know, you are what you own, you are who you raise, and you are your past. Mm. So if, if those are the seven lies, I don't necessarily think that there's one that's more prevalent among young leaders than others, because I think based on who you are and, and you're, we're talking about the Enneagram again, but it, it's not an Enneagram book. But after, after I wrote it, I was like, oh my goodness, like all seven of these lies, I'm sure some Enneagram types yeah. will fall into sure. some more than others. So I don't necessarily think there's one predominant one. But what I do want to say is the thing that ties all of them together is this lie that we have uh, for, for freedom and flexibility and a life of control, mm. right? That's the picture that the enemy tries to paint for us that ties all of this together. And the reason why a life of freedom and flexibility and a life of control have actually risen to the surface and why these seven lies have risen to the surface as well is because of something called the gig economy, right? The whole notion of the side hustle. And I'm sure I don't, I don't need to go too much into detail because all your listeners are going to understand this, right? The idea of the side hustle. And the question has really gone from do you have a side hustle to what is your side hustle? And every generation has a side hustle. I mean, every generation is a part of the gig economy. The, it, I mean, there's actually more, there's, there's boomers and then there are more Gen Xers, there are more millennials and there's more Gen Zers that are part of the gig economy and, and that have side hustles and previous generations. But the fact of the matter is side hustling. I mean, 35%, 35% of the American population, that's 57 million people in America are a part of the gig economy. So when you think about this, right, when you think about all of these people now who have, who have this side hustle, the reason it's so prevalent and has risen to the surface is obviously, I mean, there are apps and all the ways that we can get a 1099. And I mean, that's that whole side of the side hustle, side hustle gig economy. But here's the thing, with the rise of the side hustle, with the rise of the gig economy, the notion of having a life of freedom and flexibility has actually risen to the surface because now it's within your grasp. Mm. Hey, the only reason you're not going on that cruise is because you don't side hustle. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't hustle enough. You don't, you don't have that side gig. The only reason you're not, you don't have that new phone or mm. the only reason you're yeah. not going on two vacations is because you don't. And, and the only reason you still have debt is because you don't have a side hustle. 
Why are you spending all that time on the couch binging Netflix? Why are you doing all this? You know, instead, be productive, be active. It's easier than ever to make money on the side. So go join the side hustle, right? That's the <laughs> lie that the gig economy has actually risen to the surface. And as a result, we now believe one of these seven lies or multiples of these seven lies about ourselves. Man, just even thinking about myself, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's so true. So that's a definitely a good word for, for everybody listening and all young leaders and really any leader. So, so good. Well, we're going to move to the quick hitter questions here and we're going to get started with the first one, which is what is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, all that good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll get up around six to six fifteen in the morning. Um, I, I always get, I, I always, I feel good about that. <laughs> until I listened or I felt good about that until I heard your interview with Eric and he got up at like four. Yeah. Four I, I, we needed to call him out bump. on that. Be like, how, how <laughs> yeah. many days? One day a week does not count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I get up at um, between six to six fifteen. Uh, get ready, make some coffee, spend time in the word first and then i'll try to get out of the house by seven o'clock and i'll get to the gym and the big shift that i'd made when i moved back up to edmonton is that for my entire life um or i guess maybe adult life i had never really been able to work out more than twice a week at the most i was Mm. like man i gotta figure that out because that's not gonna be good and i love eating too much Really, I mean, that's why I work out. We were at the gym and the tr- the guy was like, so why do you want to join the gym? And Christina was like, whoa, you know, I want to do a marathon and I want to do this. And he's like, why do you want to join the gym? Burgers. Like, I really love chips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally, I have a bag of chips right on my desk that I want to eat right now. <laughs> like, so I love chips uh, and I don't want to be huge. So literally, so I was like, I got to figure this out. So um, I, I was like, okay, you know what I'm going to do? Before I get into the office, I'm going to go to the gym. And instead of going to the gym for an hour, hour and a half, I'm just going to do a quick 30-minute workout. Yeah. So I, I go now Tuesday to Friday uh, on, on my best weeks. Obviously, it's hard to hit it 100% of the time. But, but when I do that, I, I, try not, I actually try to get rid. I've gotten rid of pretty much all of my breakfast meetings because I want to hit this. And go to the gym, you know, leave the house at 7, get there on 7.10, work out 30 minutes, wash up get to uh get to the church by about 8 10 8 15 and then that's how my day starts and i run until probably about five uh get home and spend time with the kids eat hang out whatever we do in the evenings and put them to bed uh by about 8 8 30 and that's when christina and i depending on the day that's when we'll either podcast or i'll do my book stuff or blogging or or whatever our side hustles are (laughs) um yeah maybe once or twice in the evenings during the during the week we'll hang out and, and watch something or, or 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 do something but otherwise we're just we're both threes on the enneagram so uh, for fun we podcast together <laughs> <laughs> we gotta do something gotta achieve yeah exactly yeah what's your favorite personality test so i'm i'm a i'm a certified gallup strengths finder coach so that's the one that i know the most about and that i've coached i mean probably over a thousand people now through so that's that's my go-to and is probably my favorite one. Christina has been digging. I mean, she, you should see the dozens of Enneagram books we have in our house right now. <laughs> I mean, she is voraciously studying it. And so as a result, it's been fun to hear from her and, and dig a little bit deep deeper into it via her. But Strengths Finder is still my favorite one. But Enneagram has been fun 
to to think about and, and process because it's you know it's a new thing. What are your uh, <laughs> top I mean, five? It's, it's it's old, right? It's old. It's all the it, new. It's, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. the renaissance. What are your top yeah. five uh, strengths for Strengths Finder? Maximizer, learner, intellection, developer, and strategic. What do you know yours, Chandler? Uh, uh, learner, competition, achiever. There's another one. There's something. What's <laughs> the other one that's there. like learner, Daniel? Uh, input. Input. Yep. Input. 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 Yep. I know my first one's an activator. I can't remember the rest. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll spend we'll some the, time. Yeah. That's a good one. I would like to talk more about yeah. that. It is interesting. Uh, Daniel, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? Okay. So talking about StrengthsFinder, because intellection is one of my themes, that doesn't mean I'm smart. (laughs) (laughs) I have intellection. Uh, No, what intellection means is I'm always thinking and things are always swirling around in my head and it's hard to turn that off. So what I've realized about myself is I need to let those ideas swirl in my head. So when I came here to the church and and we're we're in the middle of the succession process right now, Part of one of my metrics was what does our executive leadership team look like? What what does organizational structure look like? And if we're going to reorg, you know, what is the reorg that's going to last for the next few years? That's going to help us get to the next uh, growth barrier for the church. So that's that was the challenge. And there's not, I mean, it's the Canadian context is very different than the American context. Uh, even the number of the population, but the number of large churches and the post-Christian nature of it. It's just, there's, there's a lot of differences, uh, especially with the American South. So when I was trying to figure out what does this look like, honestly, I had it swirling in my head for about four months hmm. before we made a change. It was just hmm. last month where we made the change. And, and it's more than four months actually, because I got here in August. So it's, it had been swirling in my mind over and over and all, you know, all the different permutations of what would happen and what about this and what about that. And, and I, I'm, I don't do the whole beautiful mind thing where I have this massive, uh, you know, I, I, this, this, you know, <laughs> where you have all these massive connections, but I'm, I need to let my mind think. I need to let my mind process and make the connections. And the longer I have for that, uh, the the better the decision becomes. Now, that doesn't mean I make the decision by myself in isolation because I, I will, part of that process is I will ask others and I'll bring people into the dialogue, into the feedback loop and, and talk about it. But I just realize about myself, these large decisions, these significant ones, I need to have time and I can't yeah. make the decision too quickly. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, what has been the best book that you've read in the past six months? Probably Soul Keeping by John Orberg. Hmm. It's a it's an older one, but it, it's been one of those ones where I've I've always wanted to read, and every time it's come up, I'm like, man, I should read that. Yeah, but who has time to work on their soul? Right. <laughs> I gotta get stuff done. Right. <laughs> so literally, all my books, everything is is more along the lines of of productivity or getting things done or organizational structure or preaching or whatever. Right. So. Uh, it, it, it basically came to the point of on my Sabbath on Mondays, I was like, Hey, I just finished my book. What am I going to read now? And it, that, I guess, you know, the book recommendation stuff on Amazon and, and soul keeping came up and I was like, you know what? Okay. I'm actually, I'm finally going to I'm gonna do it. the bullet. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to read it. And it's been so good because Dallas Willard is incredible, right? He is absolutely amazing, but I don't know if I'm just not smart enough, but the guy's so hard to understand. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I find that no one says that, 
right? And and you have all these contemplatives who are like, oh yeah, Dallas Willard, this Dallas. They just pretend like, (laughs) oh yeah, 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 he's great. And I'm like, yes, okay, you're smart and that you read Dallas Willard, and yes, he is kind of the grandfather in a lot of this stuff. But dude, do you actually understand what he's talking about? (laughs) It's it's really hard. So John Ortberg is like Dallas Willard for dummies, Uh, and 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 John Ortberg's smart. I mean, the guy's brilliant, right? But the way he's like he's such a better communicator than Dallas Willard, at least in the literary form. So it's just been so neat to read that and understand that even more. What one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the very first time? I feel like it's a big loop. Um, be faithful. Mm. There's always going to be more opportunities. In fact, if you are faithful, you will never run out of opportunities. So instead of chasing opportunities, chase after God, chase after being faithful, chase after being, if you're married, you're, I mean, Andy Stanley said it wonderfully, right? I mean, he was like, you're the only husband or you should be the only husband <laughs> to your wife and, and you're the only father to your kids, but you're one pastor or one of the many pastors that people are going to have. Mm. So be faithful. Don't chase after opportunities, chase after God mm. instead and let him take care of the rest in his timing. Guys, I just want to leave your listeners with this. There's this notion that we have right now in our culture of instant, of instant. And it's true, right? Audible, instant, right? Podcast, download, instant. A Kindle, right? Download. I mean, everything is instant, right? Yep. Even in Nashville, <laughs> you know, you can get something in two hours. <laughs> prime right? now, it's baby. Instant. Yeah, prime now, right? It's instant, instant, instant. The peril of the American church in light, even the global church in light of this is that we have now brought that instant nature into discernment. And when we seek after Mm. God in discernment and we're praying and we're practicing the spiritual disciplines and we are placing ourselves before him and we hear an answer or get an inkling, we immediately assume it's now. Like, because instant is everything. Yep. Everything is now, right? That is just so seeped into our, our mindset. So we think it means now the answer from God means now, but it's not, it doesn't mean that just because you get an answer from the Lord and from the Holy spirit, it it doesn't mean that the answer is now. Timing is a different variable that you need to pray about in addition to the direction that you're seeking. Cause it may be that God is giving you a puzzle piece that is not going to be in fruition for the next 20 years, but you've kind of built the border. You have this one image that you are looking at and you're like, oh, this one puzzle piece is gonna make this piece make sense and this image makes sense. But in reality, maybe that puzzle piece is in the top right corner and you have no idea what that even means. Mm. But God in his timing is gonna reveal that because timing is a different variable than um, it's a different variable. It's a different variable than discernment. Man, such a good word to end on. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And thank you for listening today. We hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership. If it has, head on over to Instagram, shoot us a message, give us a follow. We'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next week. See ya.